0: Welcome everyone to the exhibition In Relation Performance Works by Peter Roche and Linda Bose, 1979 to 1985. We're sitting upstairs in the upper Chartwell gallery, clustered around one vitrine in which there is documentation relating to three separate works It's actually really interesting that they ended up in the same vitrine, because as I've read through the notes written by Peter Roche and Linda Bose after these performances, they form a cluster that I think is uh, really interesting and worthwhile reading together. Worthwhile because in each one, there's a degree of dissatisfaction with how the performance plays out. A sense that it didn't quite work and the fault lies not with the performers but rather with the audience. It's testament I think to how strongly the artist believed in the role of the audience as a constituent factor in their performance work. It's not to say that the performances were unsuccessful, it's just that they one did not play out quite in the way that the artists imagined but also that was okay in the end whatever happens on the day in the space is what the work is okay so I'm going to read each of these they're relatively short but I think each of them very interesting first one the paired photographs on the wall of Linda and Peter seated between, uh, on either side of a bronze sculpture at the Auckland Art Gallery, is the first performance I'm going to read the account of, and I'll just simply begin now. Performance by Peter Roche and Linda Boes at Auckland City Art Gallery, 30th of December 1981, time approximately three hours. The last work of the year, it was an interesting one for that. Not wholly satisfactory, it has opened up quite a new area for us now. We are through the door into an area with which we have been struggling for some months now. Intentions are quite clear. The realization and extension of such will mean a lot of hard work in 1982. It's an area which really must be understood in depth. Let's have a look at the work itself now. The day before we decided upon the physical setup. It was quite different to the way we had thought of it a week or so leading up to the piece. It is interesting the way that at times a sudden change in one's conscious state can lead to a clearer understanding of a problem. There was one that had been bothering us for some time. It had to do with the particular setup we had envisioned for the work. Neither of us mentioned it to the other until the day previous to the piece, after we had had a smoke. Once out in the open and both having doubt about the whole thing, there was no alternative but to scrap that idea And to begin by creating a new one. We were both strong in our intentions. After looking at the site again things became a lot clearer. Our intentions were modified by the space and we by placing ourselves in a certain position inside that space were in some small way able to modify that space. Up until then One or two days before it was scheduled to take place, we had planned, as in the previous piece at the Grafton Arts Centre, to introduce a bed into the space. This was the major point that had been bothering us. It seemed not right to introduce something as foreign as such into a foyer area. It is an interesting point that had we done so, the work may have had a stronger impact on those people who happen to be passing through the space, but more on that later. We regard the introduction of such an element into such a space as being theatrical, relying too heavily on the theory of theatrical control and therefore disrupting the intentions of or understanding of intentions, we attempt to minimize interferences outside of our focus the setup was as follows. A minimum of equipment was introduced into the space in the form of two chairs, a small high density microphone, a headphone, one speaker and an amplifier. Found inside the space was a large freestanding screen and behind this a life-size figure seated cast in bronze. So it's here that we found the means we had found a portion of that space with which to work. As a consequence, ideas began to form around us. The two chairs were placed on either side of the bronze statue. The chairs were only partly visible, viewed from the greater part of the foyer space, being partly concealed by the screen. To gain visible access behind the screen, one was forced to come in front and face the situation directly. The area behind the screen was small. The amplifier, speaker and headphones were linked directly to the mic. In this way, the audience had access into the piece via sound through the speaker. Linda wore headphones, I wore the microphone. Throughout the piece, Linda sat in the chair to my right on the other side of the bronze. Her eyes were closed. Throughout the piece, I sat on a chair to the left of Linda, on the other side of the bronze. I am creating a sound of which the rhythm is highly dependent upon my normal breathing pattern. This is quite different to the previous piece where a similar sound was forced and exaggerated to the point where it was impossible to continue. This time, sound was regular and low-key. There was seemingly no progression or transition in the vocals. My eyes were open and were focused on one point until focus disappeared altogether. In this way, I too was able to withdraw within myself to the point where my breathing was breath, rhythm, and sound, vibration. In this way also, Linda became attuned to my body. We decided to close the piece after I was suddenly jolted right back into everyday reality. This was unfortunate as we both felt the piece might have become more interesting had the piece been allowed to continue. Linda was less easily distracted being completely deprived of any outside stimulus. The earphones served reasonably well to block out any sound from another source. On the other hand I was far more susceptible to this. The work was broken for me when a woman, there were a lot of holidaymakers going through that space, thumped me on the shoulder and asked me what the hell I was doing. She did this twice. Tiredness set in immediately, which was quite interesting. But for us, the piece was over. This leads us to the question of whether it is at all possible Present something like this to an audience who simply would not have a clue what was going on or who because of this are not really interested in finding out. I would suspect that there had been a number of people who know this kind of work, who are sensitive to the situation, enough not to cause interference, who had been there watching, listening, then perhaps those people who were present may well have been drawn into the work. That's the end of their account of this particular piece. What's also quite characteristic to the three works I'm describing is that each of them really involve minimal activity. They see the artists situating themselves in a space, tuning themselves into that space, and then letting something unfold in relation to that space. It's interesting that it's the Auckland Art Gallery. It was 30th of December, so that's at the height of the summer season. So there would have probably been a lot of holidaymakers and tourists going through, and the foyer would have been extremely busy. So to situate themselves there, cordoned off by a screen um, and then carrying out this rather bizarre activity for a certain duration would have probably perplexed a lot of people. The same thing kind of happens in the next piece, but for slightly different reasons. The second piece I'm going to talk about took place at the Auckland Museum in a space where there was no exhibition, but it was an access route for staff moving from their offices to their tea rooms. So I'm going to now just read you the second account. Performance by Peter Roche and Linda Baus, Exhibitions Room, Auckland Museum, 3rd of March, 1982, time approximately five and a half hours. An interesting enough situation, and one which we feel quite happy about, there was something there, something working, which was not in the last two works. Bar the numerous interruptions by several members of the museum staff and a few members of the audience, the situation achieved a calm which we had been aiming for. It is on this point that we will be concentrating as a means of achieving the intensity we would like. There was a stretch somewhere in this work. It would have been perhaps two hours long where all the elements brought into play were, in, were completely in tune with, with one another. For this reason, We question the necessity of such a long performance. In this instance, however, it probably was necessary. It need not always be this way. Okay, the work. We will look at the whole process as I feel our introduction to the space was important to the way the piece was realized. At 9.30 a.m. we were ushered into the room. We decided to begin at about 10.30. I should say that we decided to open the work to the public at about this time. For us, a work begins as soon as we enter a space. The display team was still busy with the final stages of gutting the room. We watched and helped where necessary. Okay, until then, we had only a vague idea of what the site contained and the way of workable elements. We were in for a few surprises. With the space cleared and the lights off, the space began to come to life. A series of large windows with a screen propped in front of each allowed for dim rays of light to enter. This became an important aspect of the work. The day was overcast, moving clouds in the sky. As one spent time inside the room, you became aware of light change. It took time to pick up on this, but then we had requested a commitment of time and focused energy from the audience. For those who stayed, I think the piece was quite rich. So after experimenting a while with the screens and light intensities, we decided to leave them as we found them. The space was dark, but it didn't take long for your eyes to adjust. The next problem was far more practical one. It was sprung on us that morning that the space is generally used as a thoroughfare for museum staff coming and going to morning teas etc. What a blow when everything about that space was perfect for the type of thing we wanted to do. After unsuccessfully negotiating with members of the staff we decided to take the situation into our own hands. It actually worked quite well up to a point. We found several heavy, large, black screens and positioned them in such a way as to seal off the back entrance. Sounds rather drastic, but really, if they had simply taken the initiative to use another door, it would have saved us all this hassle. So that done, we discovered a ray of light stretching across the floor from between two of the screens. It looked interesting enough to make use of. It looked as if it were there to stay and it was possible we thought that we might move slowly across the space. Which way we didn't really care. It had a potential which we wanted to make use of in some way that could be improvised during the work. Before entering the space we had provided ourselves with three elements two sets of white clothing and a small mechanical metronome. The white clothing gave us a very definite advantage over the audience. To realize this, one must also be made aware of the physical positions and postures which we maintain throughout the work. Linda was lying flat on her back and I sat on the floor with my back against one of the six columns found in the space. Linda had her feet resting against one of these columns. Mm -hmm. But the point I'm getting at here is that our postures were low key in relation to those assumed by members of the audience. It wasn't all that surprising that almost all members of the audience assumed positions and postures that resembled our own. It may have led to some confusion over who the performers were had we not been dressed in white the metronome became a dominant force for both performers and audience. So where does that leave us as performers? You might wonder if it was really all that necessary for us to be there. That can be answered quite easily. These works are primarily set in motion for ourselves. An audience is merely invited to share to a lesser degree in the experience. The fact that we were so disturbed by the actions of some of the museum staff and audience should illustrate this quite well. In a more controlled situation, there may be room to involve the audience more directly in the experience. The metronome was placed on the tail end of the small ray of light coming from between the screens. This stretched a good halfway across the room. As you entered the space via a long corridor, you could see only the outline of the metronome and the ray of light. As time progressed and the beam shortened, I moved the metronome so as to keep it on the tail end. Linda, completely absorbed in sound, in a prone position on her back, floating, wandering, refocusing, drifting out of focus. I am watching, listening, drifting, also refocusing, keeping a check on things, sleep, aware one moment and only semi-conscious the next, uncomfortable for the greater part of the performance. Linda, aware now of the change in position, the sound nearer her, moving slowly along the floor, parallel to her body. There was a time when things began to make a lot of sense. Her sense of time is sound. Mine is light. We may have predicted, had we been in that frame of mind, that the peace was to be brought to an abrupt end by influences outside of our focus. Yes, another interruption, and one that was impossible to overcome. About five and a half hours into the work, some bloody jerk switched on the lights. Hard to believe, I know, but it happened all the same. It's almost unreal to think that people can be so insensitive to a situation, no matter what the situation might be. Like the time someone came into the space talking loudly with another, picked up the metronome, wondering what the hell it was doing there, played around with it somewhat until someone explained to him what it was there for and walked out again. Lights were just too much though, it would have been impossible for either of us to have continued and to have got anywhere near where we had been. We are grateful for those two clear and beautiful hours sometime in the afternoon. The end. I love that idea of two clear, beautiful hours sometime in the afternoon. Takes a lot of concentration to get to that point, I'm sure. Okay, so the final one is uh, a performance at Manawatu Art Gallery in Palmerston North. And it too, consists of not very much action whatsoever, and an interesting relationship with the audience. Performance, Manawatu Art Gallery, 12th of August, 1982, 7.30 PM. It's going to be a bit difficult to write about this work not because it's difficult to describe in terms of the physical setup, but because of something which defies a description. There is a feeling of uneasiness I have about this one. Although the work went well and we were pleased with the way we handled the situation, it provoked a lot of criticism. It extended from the last work. This one seems to be crying out to be extended even further, and perhaps more drastically. There's a whole thing about tolerance within a social structure, about audience, about power and manipulation, and about pushing that too far or not far enough, about the social consequences of that, all of which must be looked at carefully. In this work we found ourselves in an incredible position of power but it was by no means stable. It became quite frightening to realise that the delicate position we held in relation to our audience could so easily have become overbalanced. The result then would probably have meant our audience being quite unjustifiably victimised. The work would have appeared far too psychologically aggressive. We are not interested in excesses of this kind. In the eyes of our audience, of approximately 15, it seems that our position appeared quite stable. This was far from the reality we were experiencing. Perhaps, though, it is understandable, the audience feeling very much for themselves at the time. In retrospect, their feelings may change. For us, though, we found very little sympathy for the work, some interest, but very little in the way of unexpected response, which was a little disappointing. The gallery is an interesting place, physically and socially. We liked their policy of a gallery catering for the people living nearby, a far cry from the Auckland City Art Gallery. Because we could see that this was the case, we find it difficult to reason why there were so few people who turned out for our work. I guess there's no way of ever knowing why. We presented a work which for those who came, they found it hard to handle. If, for example, we had presented the same work three nights in succession, which is against our policy of not repeating works, We might well have ended up with no audience at all on the third night. Perhaps there was some apprehension in the air as to what we might do, or maybe just a complete lack of interest in New Zealand performance art. The The frustrating thing, though, was that we were more or less depending on a new situation to extend ourselves within the confines of the area we have chosen to work with. As it worked out, it was too much like a work we could have done in Auckland. We're going to have to work our next piece carefully in relation to that. Out of all of this though came a very strong work. The performance situation we found ourselves in put us in an uncomfortable position and established a very dangerous relationship with our audience. Consequently, a couple of people later related to us that during the performance They liked neither of us as persons, and one person labelled the work fucking anarchy. As far as I'm concerned, these are honest statements, but it should also be pointed out to them that they themselves were as much a part of the situation, the resulting situation, as we were. Performed in Auckland, I'm sure we would have got quite a different reaction. Certainly our audience here in Auckland is a lot tougher and more used to this type of work. Also had there been a greater number of people present as audience I think the danger aspects of this work would have been reduced. There would have been a greater freedom within the work on both sides. The fact that there were so few people present for such a long period of time during which there was very little physical movement inevitably resulted in a psychologically active situation. In this, our audience felt victimized. We can say in all honesty that we were both aware of the dangers involved in this particular setup and were therefore careful not to take the thing too far. Had we done so, not only would it have destroyed or overpowered any value in the work, it would have made us feel pretty low. We're at a point now where we have to be extra careful in the relationships we are establishing with our audiences. We do not want to find ourselves in a position where they feel they are being used. The audience felt very trapped within this work. Some found it very difficult to leave, although perhaps they found themselves wanting to. Some may have felt leaving to be an act of submission, although there were only two choices, to stay or to leave. Some may have felt they could assert themselves more by staying. I'm not sure, though, how much we wanted submission or assertiveness to be part of the work. Certainly, they are present in most situations. There are always two sides to the sort of thing in our performance. We also felt vulnerable, something which the audience didn't sense, or if they did, they didn't take it into account in their appraisal of the work. In many ways, I felt we were more vulnerable than than them, and perhaps it should have been pointed out to them that they were the ones who placed us in that position of power. Having now raised a number of issues about this work, we may as well attempt a description. In a work of such simple structure, it is staggering to realise the complexity of issues that are involved in or have evolved from the work. We chose a relatively small section of the gallery to work in, a hard polished floor, white walls, a very high ceiling and good acoustics. Isolated from the rest of the gallery, the space would measure approximately 20 by 30 feet of floor area. It was as though the space was overlapped on three sides by other areas of the gallery. Open on two sides, walls forming an alcove type space at one end and a partition type wall at the other. We seated ourselves on either side of this partition, approximately 30 feet apart each sitting in a small space between the partition and a pillar. We were out of visual range of one another. Directly opposite and about 20 feet in front of us we provided the seating arrangement. As people arrived and chose their seats we were staring at fixed points directly in front of us on either side of the seating. This continued for a good half hour or more after the last person had arrived. They sat and waited for the performance to begin. Suddenly, one of us called out the coordinates of one of the seats. For example, the third seat along in row one would be called one, three. We would then both look directly at the person occupying that seat for an indefinite period of time until another coordinate was called out by one of us. Looking directly into his or her eyes, being focused upon from two sides, unable to return the gaze to us both at the same time. In this way, passing from individual to individual, returning to most more than once, we were able to establish relationships with each member of the audience. Responses varied from complete coolness to acute self-consciousness and embarrassment. The duration of each engagement was determined largely by the nature of the relationship. It was here that we were careful not to go too far. This activity would have continued for a good two and a half hours. During this time, no one else entered the space but several individuals left after an hour or so. One person shortly after her coordinate had been called for the third or fourth time. On one other point, when coordinates were first called, most people did not realize what they related to. I'm not at all sure that there wasn't one or two who still hadn't realized by the time the performance was over. Most people did realize after a time, and from then on, knew their own coordinate. In some cases this knowledge may have enhanced tension in the work waiting for their own coordinates to be called depending on how up to the situation they felt they were. And that's the end. Could you imagine sitting there for two and a half hours with nothing happening and just them occasionally looking at you. Mm -hmm. No wonder people left after an hour or so, and to think that nothing at all happened for the first half hour after everyone got there, I mean, I do think it's quite clever, the tension that they could create in a situation like that, and how it sort of pinned people to their chairs. What would you have done? Would you start talking? Should we call it quits?